also a traditional Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. Cold open. Soft open? Soft opening. I got something. Okay. Everyone loves a soft opening. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Terrible. Uh, Well, here we are creeping up on Groundhog Day. Yeah, we are. And... There is a reason that opening an umbrella underneath a ladder next to a mirror is bad luck. Is it because it's really freaking dangerous? It's because you are going to break something and your guardians are going to beat you. (laughs) (laughs) On today's episode of The The Holy Holy Watermelon Watermelon Podcast. (laughs) I mean, yeah, those, I I mean, I guess I don't even know. I guess they are superstitions because they say you'll get whatever a number of bad years years of bad luck mm-hmm. but most of them are just dangerous i mean don't walk under a ladder yeah this is good advice <laughs> breaking years dangerous yeah opening an umbrella inside dangerous almost always you're next to something you're gonna knock over right? and if you're not at the moment of opening you're gonna walk around and hit something for sure yeah 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 Fair. Yeah, so today we are talking about superstitions, which is like religion adjacent. Some of these have their roots in religion. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of interesting stuff. So I feel like we have to talk about what is the definition of superstition? What are we really talking about? And you were kind enough to pull up a dictionary definition for me. I appreciate that. I knew my words guy would want something. (laughs) So here we have a definition that says a superstition is a widely held but unjustified belief in the supernatural causation leading to certain consequences of an action or event or a practice based on such a belief. So we've got knowledge that we talked about, I guess it was a couple years ago now, which is justified beliefs that are true. And here we have unjustified beliefs that by definition of those words already, we know they're not true. Right. <laughs> I even got you the Latin or root word, Preston. Oh, stupor. Stupor. <laughs> Superstitio. I want to say it in an Italian accent. Superstitio. <laughs> I love it. It means to stand over in awe, which, I mean, might not translate too well onto how you, you might think of superstitions regularly, but... You know, if you're standing on ceremony, worried about a thing that makes no sense at all, I think that's kind of how that idea is built. Yeah. Yeah. Superstitions originated from the practices of magic and divination in ancient times. And to this day, superstitions would be considered paranormal and are often opposed to traditionally held religious or spiritual beliefs. So there's a few that we'll talk about today that the Catholic Church has said, this is witchcraft. (laughs) Don't do it. Which is ironic to me as a faith that turns bread into a human body but who am i to judge Uh, that's that's the thing you got to pick what you believe and what you don't some i mean some of us kind of work really hard at it to convince ourselves and other things it's just like i heard it and i haven't seen enough evidence to say that it's not true is kind of the way it goes if if you're carrying around a horseshoe in your pocket and everything just comes out roses i mean there's the the cognitive biases what what you're counting what you're discounting that Um, comes into play a lot and there's also the um reticular activating system in your brain right when you're like looking for things you find them so the example people always give is you buy a 
Hyundai, a red Hyundai now all uses red Hyundais. It's not that everyone owns a red Hyundai. It's not that you care about red Hyundai. So I think some of that plays into the su- some superstitions you, as well. Are you doxing me? <laughs> I literally, I didn't pick a Hyundai. Randomly, because we both own Hyundais. But I did pick red randomly. Um, oh my God, there's a red Hyundai outside. <laughs> I don't think you can be doxxed by that alone. But I think you're right. Preston's license plate is. <laughs> I, I wish I had it memorized. I have mine memorized. I have mine memorized. Prove it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> For how often I need to punch it into the parking meters. It's so much easier to have it memorized. I know. I used to take pictures of it, and now it's now it's in there. And now that and that is my lucky numbers for when I buy lottery tickets. There you go. All those letters. They don't like that. No. Um, (laughs) You know what? I don't have memorized my social insurance number. Yeah. Okay. But I have the number from IT crowd memorized and my library card number. All right. But not the nine digits. I don't need your library card number, but I need that emergency line. Oh, one one eight nine 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 eight eight one nine 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 one one nine seven two five three. Beautiful. But I don't know the nine digits of my sin. It's really bad. Anyway, um, wow. <laughs> you can use those numbers on your next lottery ticket. Not all of them. <laughs> Anyway, early superstitions came about because of the lack of scientific explanation for things. When humans can't explain things, we look for ways to make sense of the world. And sometimes we just have to come up with a story to tell children to get them to stop asking. Why? (laughs) And unfortunately, a lot of these stories get carried on by these children as gospel truth. And then we get real problems centuries later. (laughs) Years ago, in one of our very first episodes, we talked about the book, The Golden Bough. And in this book, it explains basically the the evolution from magic to religion to science. So this kind of fits in, I'd say, somewhere between magic and science, the start of superstition. Sorry, magic and religion, the start of superstition. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. These, we got all kinds of ideas. And... Almost everybody's got some sort of superstitious thing they do. Almost everybody. My mom is surprisingly superstitious. Yeah? Tell me more. What does, so, I'll probably never listen to this. Um, She says it's bad luck to give, um, like, sharp things for gifts. I got them knives for Christmas because they have boomer knives that they haven't changed in 30 years. Sure. She hated them because I gave her something sharp for Christmas. Uh Uh-huh. If you give someone a wallet, you have to have money in it. That's a big one. Okay. Uh, like as a gift. Definitely have heard the umbrella. Mm-hmm. There's a few others that I can't think of any right now, but there's a few things. I'm like, mm, that's, you're very superstitious. That's bad luck. We'll get a lot. Right. Yeah, it's uh, hockey season as it is. And so like, you hear a lot about people rooting for the Oilers who got to wear their jersey every day. Otherwise, the Oilers can't win. And there's you a got beard, the beard thing during playoffs. The mullet. There's all kinds of things that obviously don't impact the game. That like literally could not impact the game, but very religiously adhered to. Yeah. (laughs) 
and, and to that point, people often have their own personal superstitions. And we're going to get mm-hmm. into some of these more broad, broadly accepted or practiced superstitions. But good luck charms, lucky pair of underwear or small rituals that they perform to guarantee an outcome. And inter- I found this and I guess it makes a lot of sense. But I found this in one of the articles is that people with jobs that tend to be out of their control are often more superstitious. So these are probably like fishermen, gamblers, actors. I even imagine things like military. Oh, probably. Um, you know, you got your picture of your little wife. Mm-hmm. And then you get, I watch too many Nicholas Sparks movies, but then you get shot and the picture stops the bullet, you know. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> <I mean. laughs> and it makes sense that if you feel like there's nothing that you can't control the job, you you have to figure out what you can control. Yeah, some sort of ritual to, yeah, I just feel probably in some of those cases kind of normal. Yeah. It's it's normal. That doesn't mean it's justified. No, no it doesn't mean it's <laughs> real. Yeah. So generally, even though almost all religions have some sort of superstition in them, yeah, that's just the way it goes. But whether you like it or not, this label will apply to you. <laughs> There's always all of the other superstitions that you're going to be happy to condemn. <laughs> yes, there's yeah. It's yeah, it's one of those things where if you do it, it's a religious practice. And if someone else does it, it's bad. It's witchcraft. <laughs> um so yeah, if you're outside of a religious group, you might find the beliefs or practices of that group to be a little bit superstitious. So there's so many I, there's so many examples I have in Christianity, but like obviously rosary beads or people would wear their patron saint necklaces. I said special underwear <laughs> i said magic underwear you, you changed that um i the only people i've ever heard talk about it as expecting there to be some sort of magical property to the mormon temple garment live in small towns and don't like talking about science i was gonna say or like <laughs> south park Sure, that's a very different context. Deliberately a joke. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Offering sacrifices. Mm-hmm. And we see that a lot, even if you think of something like a like a Shinto or a Buddhist shrine, like leaving an orange mm-hmm. is, you know. It's an offering. It's an offering, but again, maybe a bit superstitious, which yeah. we'll get into. What about on the other side? What about- well, there's, you know, if, if it's not something that you're group and your tradition includes yeah it's going to get treated like the occult which of course we've talked about before most people don't know what that word means (laughs) but therefore must be sinful and i I actually kind of love it because occult really applies quite well to superstition and the fact that the the best definition of it is like i want to say science without proof or these rituals that we expect you know alchemy astrology there's like a process to it but it hasn't been proven right so a lot of the superstitions we're going to get into throwing rice rice over your shoulder salt over your shoulder is a process Mm -hmm. with no proof right yeah witchcraft which of course judaism and christianity and islam very famously hate (laughs) but it's just just superstitions that you have or have not accepted into your own tradition. Right. <laughs> in <Prayer>. fact, 
There's a couple popular stories, both in the same chapter of Genesis. Nice. That I think are really interesting examples of old-timey superstitions. Tell me more. So Genesis chapter 30. Let's get into story time with Preston. Story time with Preston, (laughs) yay! So Jacob had a pair of sister wives. Doesn't come up a lot in scripture, but Jacob did. And the favorite, Raquel, wasn't bearing any children. But her sister Leah was terribly prolific. She had many, many sons. Raquel, not so lucky. So Reuben, one of Leah's sons, decided, I can help mom. He collected a bunch of mandrakes because everybody knows that mandrakes help women conceive. You know, because that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Learn that in sex ed. Uh, Naturally, Raquel wanted on the mandrake action. So she begged Leah for some of the mandrakes. And after some pleading, Raquel offered Leah a night with their husband in exchange for some mandrakes. And then the text goes on to validate the mandrake superstition by telling us that Leah had a bunch more babies. And Raquel finally bore Joseph of Technicolor Dreamcoat. Oh, I love Joseph in the Technicolor (laughs) Dreamcoat. And the, I mean, it says that the Lord remembered Raquel, but it's definitely phrased and built in the story in a way that it makes it look like the mandrakes are responsible for her finally bearing children as well. (laughs) There's no way the mandrake superstition should have survived millennia, but being in the Bible is definitely what has kept it alive among the most gullible of Christians to this very day. There's another story, though, in Genesis chapter 30. Yeah. And another, I feel like, a pretty ridiculous superstition. So my mom is a horse breeder. So while she may not be fully on board with all of the things that are science or have a proper understanding of religion... (laughs) This one, I know, is not a trap she's going to fall into. Oh, good. I'm excited to hear. (laughs) So, Jacob, the same guy, owed his father-in-law several years of indentured servitude. That's how we got both daughters. Um, Lucky guy, I guess. Apart from the whole being tricked into servitude. So, because Laban was terribly clever and manipulative. Laban being the father-in-law of Jacob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, Jacob wanted out. He didn't like the deal. And he came up with a plan to make off with a fortune. Ooh. I mean, not in dollars and cents, but you'll see. In horses. Pretty much. Uh, Jacob and Laban agreed that Jacob could take off with all of the spotted and striped livestock. We're talking goats, sheep, and cattle, um, camels. Anything that had stripes or spots was his. Llamas and sheep costumes? Sheep and llama (laughs) costumes? Maybe. Okay. We didn't have to worry about costumes, though, for this story. Okay. (laughs) But anything that was solid color, that would be Laban's. Everything else was Jacob's. So Jacob used poplar and hazel and chestnut to put spots on the better, stronger portion of his father-in-law's livestock. Because right now they're all pooled. Right. They're all living together anyway. But he didn't do it to take them directly but to make sure that their offspring would be speckled or striped. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Genetics. Right. You know, affecting genetics by dusting them up a little bit. Well, if they breed with a spotted one now. 
Right, that that's how genetics works. But we're talking about painted on spots. Oh, they literally think that because it's painted on, they will give birth to. Yes. I just figure he's not going to separate them because he's like, oh, that one has spots and that one has spots. We'll keep them together and they'll do their little horsey thing. <laughs> and maybe that's not the way the story is told. Okay, sorry, carry on. <laughs> it's, it's weird. The Bible story does indicate that it worked out brilliantly for Jacob and he made a fortune leaving his father-in-law with next to nothing. The, what animals he did get to keep were the weaker ones and all built around what is seen by a lot of Christians today as validation of this superstition rather than just a thing that happened and happened to work out. Mm. Is this like brown cows produce chocolate milk? It sure feels <laughs> like it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, so... Like I prefaced it with, it's, it relies completely on absolute ignorance of genetics and breeding techniques. But Bible-only Christians still think that this actually works today. And when we talk about evolution, this is as close as they're willing to get to admitting it. <laughs> All right. So we're going to talk about some popular, famous, popular, famous superstitions. Yeah more widely spread superstitions. So right around the corner, we got Groundhog Day, mm -hmm. February 2nd, right? Yep. Perfect. And with the weather of which we're recording in, is any indication, I sure hope it doesn't see its shadow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, here in the Great White North, it got down to minus 50 last night. Uh, I don't know with or without windshell, but like definitely super cold. Yeah, and... Whether you're in Fahrenheit or Celsius, I mean, minus 40 is where we match up, and that's bad news. Right. Everything below that is a An bad thing. Yeah. Bad time. <laughs> yeah. So we're ready for spring already, and it's yeah. not that late in the winter. Anyway, so as Preston mentioned, it's February 2nd. It's a Pennsylvania Dutch superstition that is practiced in the United States and Canada. And on this day, a groundhog emerges from its burrow. If it sees its shadow, it's scared away for six more weeks. It burrows into the ground. So I don't know a lot about groundhogs, but this makes them sound real dumb. It makes them sound <laughs> real dumb because they have to exist with the sun anyway. Yeah. But be like, we're in Canada. You know, you mentioned the Oilers. People know where we live. February 2nd, that only brings us to the middle of March. Like, I wish winter ended in the middle of March. Right. Like, this only works for very, like, there's a latitude in Beneath that this might work for. But we're never that lucky that even if it doesn't see a shadow, winter is not over. I mean, middle of March, we definitely feel like spring is coming. But I've also, I use St. Patrick's Day as a, like a marker because of all my years of Irish dancing. Spring is here when we actually hit the spring equinox. Right, but I like, <laughs> because I use St. Patrick's Day as a marker and I used to drive a lot on St. Patrick's Day as sure. an Irish dancer, yeah. I'd be like, oh, this year was shit and we were driving in a snowstorm or this year mm. was great because we didn't have to change out of our dresses into winter clothes. So by middle of March, it could be literally anything. That's fair, yeah. I don't know, I made the bonehead move of getting married in the first half of yes, February. Yes, I remember that. Um, <laughs> Uh, okay, so if it doesn't see its shadow, then it's not scared, and then spring comes early. Yeah. Is the idea. But again, if, if you're where we are, even if it doesn't see its shadow, it will not be spring by middle of March. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is no data, shockingly, that backs up 
whether a cloudy February 2nd means an early spring. Also, there's like a few like famous groundhogs around the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Punxsutawney Pete. Punxsutawney Pete. Um, he's not in Edmonton, so how, if he doesn't see a shadow, it still has no impact on power. Right, no, you got to have a local groundhog. You got to have a local ground. Anyway. <laughs> We're way too invested in this one, clearly. Uh, the tradition originates from the Catholic Festival of Candlemas, where the start of spring was predicted on this day. In Germany, bears were used to predict the return of spring, which makes sense because they're a hibernating animal. Um, but as bears became scarce, eventually badgers were used, and then it turned into groundhogs. So I, I want to put in a little thing here that in Europe, badgers aren't the assholes that they, they are, are here, here in yeah. North which America. Which is probably why when the Pennsylvania <laughs> Dutch came over, and they were like, badger, and they got mauled, they were like, ooh. Groundhog. Groundhog. <laughs> <laughs> you look like a badger, but you're not. I still have my hands, so. <laughs> All right, Puxatani Pete, you're staying with us. <laughs> Yay. Uh. <laughs> and that's how superstitions evolve. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ridiculously, but. Yeah. So I this, just... again, the superstition actually has a Christian origin, which is neat. And we have other ones. I, I mean, I don't want to call it a Christian origin. It does sound like it was Christians that were doing it, but maybe they were doing it before Christians came and converted them. I don't know. But well, the I'm, time between Candlemas of like predicting spring and then yeah, we could be merging. Traditions. Yeah, two traditions that kind of have the same. But yeah, even trying to predict the spring in um, at Candlemas that that doesn't feel reasonable. Well, there's actually a passage in the New Testament. I can't remember what it, where it is right now. I've only just thought of and pulled it to mind. There's a point where Jesus makes fun of people for trying to predict the weather. The whole red sky at sundown, good news, red sky at sun up, bad news kind of business. Like, it's the same effect of light coming over the horizon. <laughs> and Jesus apparently had this that detail figured out. Anyway. I... <laughs> Don't take that one with like a hundred percent accuracy. Tell me more. But I feel like at least eighty percent of the time, if you have a red sunrise, it's gonna be a shitty day. See, I'm not even a hundred percent sure I quoted it right. I might have. So I that, might have had it. No, flipped. it's red did sky right? at night, sailors delight. Red sky in morning in the morning, sailor take warning. So I said it right then. Good. I'm glad to have had it. But yeah, had it I, <laughs> there's definitely days I'll like look at the sunrise and be like, ooh, and then it's like totally fine. But there, I guess this is where it's like this <laughs> cognitive distance and the way there's like, there's some days there's a red sunrise and it is a bad day. <laughs> wow. Um, all right. <laughs> now that I've embarrassed myself. The, the reality is that science, which in this moment, we'll, we'll, we'll define it as verifiable knowledge. It just doesn't back it up. No. <laughs> nope. All right. The next thing on our list. I I was right tickled when I found this. Are you? I could tell. <laughs> um, and I'm going to include the link in our show notes for everyone to, to read more on this, um, if you're so inclined. Dowsing rods. I, I might have told you this before. My mom claims to be great at using dousing rods. Some people call them divining rods. They're sticks for finding water, usually. 
Um, but they can also be used to find almost anything underground, really. Um, you just hope that the spirits guide you to what you're after. And that phrase should be enough to tell you that it's all hokum. <laughs> Did you read any of the studies on it, though? The actual studies on divining rocks? Yeah. I did not. Just the idea of what this is shouts me that don't worry about it. It's not science. <laughs> so the, the the sort of one conclusion, I guess, that they've come to, because these sticks, they look, they're like wide twigs. They'll like dip down and there's supposed to be water or whatever you're looking for mm-hmm. in the ground. So they points down so yeah Um, there's a couple of different uh, layouts on how these things are built yeah you got wide twigs or sometimes it'll be two entirely separate bent rods and see where they point if they touch then Uh, you're in a good spot so like the i don't know what the status for like accuracy of finding it (laughs) but like the sticks move right yeah yeah yeah. and these people claim that it's whatever spirits or the water whatever and one of the conclusions that they've come to is that like your body can sense changes in terrain or whatever and so you're like subconsciously okay but do we have like enough of a body of statistics collected to say that this is good a lot of research on like they've done (laughs) studies hold on let me i'm just i'm gonna just pull up the wikipedia i should have put it in the notes but now we're like (laughs) of <laughs> uh, science studies okay uh-huh. they've done a whole bunch of studies as recently as 2006 2012 i feel like there needs to have been a 2017 study and i'll explain that year in just a moment <laughs> okay here's the case so it's called the idea ideomotor ideomotor phenomenon and people as late as 1957 like, have said this is might be what it is that the movement of dousing rods is the result of unconscious muscular action this view is widely accepted amongst the scientific community the dousing apparatus is known to amplify slight movements of the hands caused by a phenomenon known as the ideal ideal motor response people's subconscious minds may influence their bodies without consciously deciding to take action this would make the dousing rods susceptible to the dousers subconscious knowledge or perception and also to confirmation bias all right i should get into why I felt the need to build this episode around this idea and and Groundhog Day too, I guess, was part of the motivation. <laughs> so in 2017, somebody noticed their water service people in Great Britain using dousing rods to find something and presumably a water leak. And... It came out in that year, 2017, that 10 of the 12 British water companies used dousing rods to find water leaks. Unacceptable. <laughs> Just forget science. So, Or any modern technology we have the luxury of having. Right? Uh, so the person spotted it and tweeted about it, and it got a lot of attention. And so Yorkshire Water tweeted about the use of dousing rods, saying that they are only used to detect pipework and voids that may be caused by bursts or collapses. That's not defense. (laughs) That's saying, yes, of course we still use it. But just for this, it's okay. Don't worry about it. (laughs) Severn Trent posted on Twitter, we found that some of the older methods are just as effective than the new ones. I don't love their use of the English language there. Yeah, that was not a great... (laughs) 
But also what they're saying, I mean, yes, we do have old methods that are just as effective as the new ones. I don't think, no, no, this isn't one of them. (laughs) And uh, Anglian Water also tweeted, if you've ever tried to find a water pipe underground, then you'll know that it can be very difficult and you'll try anything. (laughs) We're happy to take you out and demonstrate. Let us know and we can arrange. What do other countries do? What are you here? Don't you have it marked? I mean, I don't know for sure what we do here, but I've never, ever seen somebody using dowsing rods. <laughs> I mean, I, I would like to go for a demonstration. Right? So that last one was actually tweeted directly to the person who had who initially like, posted, hey, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> amazing, but also not amazing. Yeah. I think it's worth noting that the Catholic Church not a fan. Definitely calls oh, yeah. it witchcraft. Witchcraft. <laughs> Good thing it's Church of England over there. I mean, not everywhere. No, I know. I can't imagine like civil engineers being like okay with that. Right? The, the trick is, so um, somebody else, a few other people point out, I mean, it's not an official practice, but it, like some of our older guys do it. The older guys who have been doing it for a long time. <laughs> and they know the tricks, I guess. I don't know. Well, and, and this is what I was thinking with that ideo, ideo motor response is like, if someone taught you how to do it, again, like there's, you can maybe feel something in the terrain or like if someone's teaching you to do it, then they're, it. Like, <laughs> like, just do it. But, but like <laughs> there's groundwater here. And they're like, look, there's groundwater here. And then you go by the next day and you're like, oh, there's groundwater. I'm acting this out. You can't see me, but I'm like, like, it's just a memorization (laughs) of the terrain. Right. (laughs) Like the old guys do it because that's where they fucking know the pipes are after 50 years. (laughs) Anyway. Well, see, that's the thing. They would walk along the pipes waiting for the dousing rods to say, this is the point along the pipe where the leak is. Or maybe the ground gets squanchy. Right. <laughs> That's what I mean by the idea. That's a good example. I was like, I don't think I'm explaining the idea of motor response correctly, but well, the ground gets squanchy. Like, for sure. If you were to just try it out walking across your floor in, in your home, at some point, your wrists are going to be like, let's adjust for comfort. And then all of a sudden, your rods are pointing to each other. <gasps> and so the reliability of this process relies entirely not on true reliability or valid science, but just on the body says, oh, it's time to stop doing this. Hopefully we found it. (laughs) It's a little ridiculous. A really, really popular one is, I think my mom's a little, does this one too. I think she's made people throw salt over their shoulder. Uh, Spilling salt and therefore throwing it over your left shoulder specifically. It is bad. Don't spill salt. But what if you need to get a vampire or some other, what's the word I'm looking for? Nonsense. Cryptid. Cryptid, yeah. Some other cryptid to manifest what is definitely a ASD symptom and start counting. <laughs> Good reference. Did you just watch the Doctor Who special too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, <laughs> uh, spelling salt is bad unless you are trying to trap a cryptid and has been since the Sumerians thought, though, thought so in 3500 BCE. That's a long, long time. time. Uh, this practice was passed on to the Egyptians, the Syrians and Greeks and, of course, and the rest of. So I can see why they would think salt was valuable. What is basically more than 5000 years ago? Because the salt that you can eat most reliably takes a lot of work to mine out of the ground. So, yeah, if you're just going to spill it and waste it, yeah, no, you've become a problem. (laughs) How does throwing salt away bring any good news other than getting a demon to count it? It is intended to either blind the devil. Oh, so you're being... In, or de- keep him from sneaking up on you. Right, because it's got to be over the left shoulder, because the angel's on your right shoulder, devil's on your left. Man, people are weird. People are weird. <laughs> um, so, uh, as Preston mentioned, salt then and now is an important mineral in preserving food and seasoning, and it's it's been high value forever. So even the adage, not worth his salt, reflects the high value of sure. tasty, tasty NACL. <laughs> there are other kinds of salt, but NACL is the, the healthy table My salt. My favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool. That's uh, blind the devil. I like it. And I mean, it's ridiculous, it. but it I enjoy ridiculous. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, like, almost every time you're talking about this opportunity to throw salt over your shoulder, it's always, always in a restaurant, right? Where there's another table behind you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I do too. All right. Crossing fingers. Mm. That's some good fun. I don't do that ever. And so my fingers don't love being asked to do it. But I mean, I guess I did when I was a kid for sure. Because just practicing it, practicing it now, immediately I'm tempted to cross all of my fingers I, I did that as a emoji kid. a lot yeah I do why I guess I need a lot of luck in <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna cross my fingers and hope the person listening to this leaves an apple review Ooh, mm. let's see if that works out let's for see us. if that works <laughs> so this tradition may be seen occasionally in Europe it's a lot more common in England and it, it seems like maybe that's actually where it started. Hard to say for sure. Christians used it as a basically nonverbal prayer for the protection from the Holy Cross. Not from the crucified guy, but from the cross. Cross itself. Yeah. I, just, I, I can't explain like that. That I doesn't like make it. sense. Here, um. <laughs> pray for protection from my holy gun. Yeah, it feels that. weird. feels weird. We've talked about um, it Yeah. So this evolved from a prayer of protection into basically a prayer for luck or really any sort of blessing. Just, I'm hoping for the thing. Cross your fingers. And that's basically how you see a lot of people use it today. And then I was thinking about it. Well, you get mostly children will cross their fingers when they lie. And there's actually a reason that's totally connected. Okay. Connected. Interesting. Um, the idea that this brought protection when telling a half-truth 
or when sparing someone's feelings with a white lie is kind of the deal there. And that evolved into a validation when telling complete lies. How interesting. Yeah. I can say whatever I want when my fingers are crossed because I'm going to get blessed anyway. I'm protected from any punishment. I read something that was supposed (laughs) to resemble Jesus hanging on the cross. I mean, most art has him cross his ankles. Or like his little head and he's like slumped down. I, I don't love that, but I get it. I think it's more of just, uh, you know, it was the cross and now your fingers are crossed. And I think that's as simple as it is. <laughs> but I think that's a novel thing. And if somebody ever tells you it's okay to lie, because uh, don't get mad at me, my fingers were crossed. No, no, that person... They need to be taught. They're going to hell. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of lesson, Brandon? One that keeps them from doing that in the future. (laughs) Not like permanently this opportunity is not available to you, but like just stop being an idiot. (laughs) Don't be a dick. We haven't said that. We said the other day we haven't said that in a long time. Yeah. Don't be a dick. Yeah. Okay. Crossing your fingers is not a good excuse to go ahead and be a dick. Okay. Uh, Four leaf clovers. I think we've seen this a lot. Yeah. The four-leaf clover trope. Yeah. But with a one in 10,000 chance of finding a four-leaf clover. And oh, that's you know, a, really that bad? Yeah. And that's, again, assuming you're even looking for one. Right. Because I don't look for them. So my chances of finding one are worse. Uh, it is really lucky to find one. A Christian legend that's not in the Bible claims that to remember Eden, Eve took a four-leaf clover as she was booted. So... I want to say that this story has definitely originated in Ireland. Maybe. It just feels right, you know? Well, you know what? No. Uh, New hypothesis. Not in Ireland, but Irish immigrants in North America. Yeah, I... That's what I want to guess. I is didn't the find much there. out about it. Like I just like everything just said a Christian legend, and I obviously know it's not in the Bible. Um, so, but. I, the Irish like the three-leaf clover because it was the explanation of the Trinity for right, them. Right, Anyway, of all okay. the things to take from Eden. I probably should have had more horseshoes in my life than I did, considering how much time I spent around horses. But they're supposed to be good luck. Um, and I think there's a couple of different reasons why they're good luck. But the number one, the one that always comes to mind right away, is that they're made of iron. This is particularly important to the greeks at the time which is i think through most of europe couldn't touch iron super weird iron was kind of a an iffy thing uh in old jerusalem as well because they didn't like witchcraft or anything that looked like witchcraft iron could be manipulated with magnets right oh looks like witchcraft no iron allowed Magnetism is a bit of witchcraft, right? if we're being honest. But, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I think it was, I, and I know that's the deal um, with the old Israelite religion. So the Greeks believed it could ward off evil. So it was more of a good luck thing, kind of. <laughs> um, and the shape, a really weird coincidence that this thing that is very carefully shaped to match the foot of a horse reflects the crescent moon that the Greeks thought was really important, particularly as a sign of fertility and fortune. 
And of course, the Middle Ages in the UK, it was believed that witches were scared of horses in addition to all the other good luck that iron would be. So keeping one above your door would keep witches away. Okay, important question. Horseshoe up or shoot down? So there is debate on this. There is. And I feel like the argument that I usually hear is that the points need to be up so that it's shaped like a cup so that it holds the good luck. I what but I heard the opposite. <laughs> yeah. And I actually love it is that if it points down then the luck pours over the people that are walking through the door. I like that. I liked it too. I yeah. like the visual of I was gonna say a luck shower, but <laughs> I'm a bad person. Um, uh, good thing we're rated for adults. Right? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah. So I feel like aesthetically I would prefer it up, but I like the story that goes with it. Down. Sure. Points up. Um, if you want to hang it with only one nail. Points down. Points down is the easy way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> Which is familiar. This is kind of the first negative superstition we've. Well, yeah, about. we gotta have them. I get. I know. I know. But all these other ones have been like happy. Uh, black cats, which is familiars, the devil. Um, they've been seen as omens or even carriers of bad luck all over Europe for centuries, uh, except for Wales, where they are seen as good luck. Yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. And I mean, historically, like the Egyptians love cats. Yes. So. Yeah, I don't know if the Egyptians were picky about colors. Um, they were onto something, though, with the whole vibrating and having healing properties. I mean, there's still more to be explored. Uh, Maybe it's just superstition. <laughs> In 1233 CE, Pope Gregory IX published a bull. What's a bull? It's just a weird name they have for these official writings. That like come an from edict Pope. almost? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We published a bull called Vox in Rama to condemn to condemn Luciferianism or Satan worship, where he explained that the devil was half cat. Yeah. Actually, that's... I'll yeah, interject a little bit. There's a ridiculous cultic superstition thing more like an initiation ritual. That's what I'm looking for. An initiation ritual that he was particularly bothered by that he was seeing in Europe. Where there was a statue of a cat and people would kiss its butt. And, like, then, it, right? and, and then it would come to life. Oh! I mean, all of it sounds ridiculous. But, but that's the story. <laughs> um, I don't... I mean, you're a married man. Yeah. And I mean, we've hung out at formal events before when a woman puts lipstick on and this has happened to me and it's like on the outside, but you lose on the inside from eating or drinking. Mm -hmm. I call that a cat's butthole. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, I have a cat's butthole. And I go fix my lipstick. Um, uh, so I hope thanks you all, for that. you're welcome. So when we go to Robbie Burns, uh, formal dinner, yeah. let me know if I have a cat's butthole. For sure. Thank you. Um, also sort of with the, this is probably from, thanks, Pope Gregory. Cats played a role in anti-Semitism in Europe. Oh, tell Because me of, I presume, Pope Gregory, Christians typically didn't have cats. Right. Because they're witches familiars. But Jewish people had cats because they have no rule of such. And right. 
proportionally, Jewish people didn't catch the plague as much as Christians because they had cats. Right. And rats carried the fleas, which carried the plague. Um, that adds up. Yeah. So it was actually like a huge issue for anti-Semitism. They thought they were, I mean, witches because they had cats and then they weren't dying of plague. So it must be magic. Um, Ooh, yeah. No, all that adds up. Yeah. I don't love that mask, no, but I, it does. It, yeah. <laughs> we learned that when we were in Europe last last spring. That's great. Yeah. It was pretty horrible. A black cat crossing your path could be on a mission assigned by an evil witch or even devil himself. Oh, boy. That's not the kind of excitement I need in my life. <laughs> I would love for my path to be crossed by a black cat. Sure. I mean, we've, we've got a variety of cats in our neighborhood, and it's always nice to see them. I love a good tuxedo cat. They're ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With their little socks. Right. Before Amanda and I got a cat, we were talking about maybe getting a black one because they are, because of this ridiculous superstition, severely underrepresented in adoption statistics. Mm-hmm. Everyone would rather have a ginger or a tabby or a lycoy or whatever. There's a lot of varieties of cats, but the this the black American short hair, they get left behind. Go go adopt a black cat. <laughs> if you have space in your home and in your family. If a black cat crossed someone's path, that would make them fearful of curses to the point that they might need to go to a priest for a blessing. The church didn't bother telling them to keep their money. Yeah. Just let's keep saying, oh, yeah, no, no, you, you definitely need a blessing. And, you know, collect money for it, apparently, is the thing that people do. I mean, I don't know. I didn't read that they were specifically charging for it. There's always that encouragement, right? That, okay, if you you really want the, this blessing from the Lord, put a little bit in the box. Yeah. Um, or maybe it's, in best of cases, just a sign of gratitude for the blessing. Right, if you want the services to keep happening, maybe leave a little something on Patreon, just to <laughs> say thank you. Right. I get it. Yeah. I mean, we've been doing this for almost three and a half years happening just a little support would be great <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, fingers crossed <laughs> so um, just remember our lucky numbers ah oh, what a great segue uh, yeah numbers there's lucky numbers and unlucky numbers yeah Triscan uh, I had practiced this Triskaidekaphobia is the fear of the number 13 and actually has its roots in Norse mythology and then later Christian mythology. So our favorite trickster god, one of our favorite trickster gods, Loki, crashed a party of 12 gods dining in Valhalla. When the other gods tried to get rid of him, Baldur was killed. Apparently Baldur was like a favorite too. He was beautiful. That's the whole deal. He was beloved. Oh, yeah. Because Thor was, I mean... A lot of people like Thor, but he was a brute and not super clever. And, you know, if, if you don't like redheads, Thor was traditionally a redhead. <laughs> <laughs> so now, even now to this day, 13 person dinner parties are avoided in Scandinavia. But that's not the only dinner party wrecked by a 13th person, Preston. Right? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is the Last Supper. Hey, the Jesus, you going to the Last Supper? <laughs> the what? <laughs> I love the meme that's like, you know the drill. It's it says God. You know the drill, Jesus. You gotta spend Christmas with Mary and Joseph and Easter with me. And he's like, 
What's Easter? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, my family splits holidays like that. (laughs) Surprise, Jesus. You're going to love Easter. Uh, He, in fact, did not love Easter. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, Judas. Yeah, Judas Iscariot was the 13th at the Last Supper, according to most lists anyway. It feels like there probably would have been wives present. This is kind of a big deal. But the story doesn't doesn't include them. I would have which is why we have in all of the great paintings of the Last Supper, we got Jesus and twelve more dudes. And Judas is always the last on the list. Mostly because we're talking from retrospective where we he doesn't get happen. any extra credit. Yeah. I've also seen a meme that's like, it's like the apostles and Jesus. And they're like, can we have a table for 26? And they're like, 26. And the, hence the Leonardo da Vinci painting where they're yeah. all on one side of a table. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and speaking of the painting by Leonardo da Vinci, mm-hmm. Judas is actually seen spilling salt in that painting. Oh. So. I've never noticed that. I'm going to have to give it a look. An illusion. Um because it's bad luck. It is bad luck. What a dick. Um, what a dick. <laughs> and then in one of the Harry Potter books, I forget which one, and obviously this is a throwback to these references sure. that um, I forget. There's a, Anyway, there's a dinner party and a 13th person sits down and Trelawney goes, oh no, someone, this is bad luck. Someone has to get up and leave. Like there's 13 and someone at the table dies. I forget which book. It's been so long since I read I the Harry Potter like books. I feel like it might be the one where, spoiler alert, Dumbledore dies. I think it might be that one. I think it might be that one. But. Oh, no. Okay, they've been out for like two decades. But, um, I think it's that one. But I could be wrong. If you're listening, feel free to correct me. But I feel like the last book came out 15 years ago. I was like in either high school or university, so that does sound pretty close. I might have been first year university. And eh, that's still, ooh, I guess that was 15 years ago. <laughs> superstitions around numbers can be culturally specific and the number 13 isn't considered unlucky everywhere right for example in the far east so korea china japan the number four is considered unlucky do you know why because i noticed you didn't put why in your notes so in chinese i think specifically mandarin i think oh it's printed i feel like it's it's pronounced almost identical to the word for death Mm. is the trick but eight which is just double four, is very lucky. Which is why you'll see like restaurants that are the triple eight lucky Chinese food. Mm-hmm. They're really big in the numerology, actually. Um, but it always blows my mind when there's like no 13th floor. I'm like, you're physically on the 13th floor. You've just mm-hmm. called it the 14th. Right. And that's stupid. So what they should do when they do that is an empty floor. count the main floor as M and the next floor up as one. They do that in Europe. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> and then when you're finally on 14, then you're actually counting them properly. Oh, I see what you're saying. I like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in Europe, yeah, it's main is main, and then one is one, whereas North America, one is the main floor. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another fear, Preston, which I did try to pronounce yesterday. And Yeah, Hexacosioi, hexaconta, hexaphobia. Wow! Did you practice? No. Wow. I, it's a Greek word. Okay, so more. And I've, I've had enough to speak Greek, the though. word enough times in Greek class. Okay, one more time for... Hexacosioi, hexaconta, hexaphobia. 
the fear of 666. The number of the beast. <laughs> so we've talked about this before that there are some really absolutely irrational fears around this number that it's connected to the devil himself. I don't want to give away everything that we talked about in our Revelation episode, but the number is like not actually 666. It's definitely not $6.66. It's not June 6, 2006. I remember a lot of people freaked out about that when I was in high school. It's not 666 on any sort of barcode nonsense. It's more ridiculous numerology that numbers have values that have spiritual meaning. And it's really the matter is that the letters have numerical values. And we're talking about a number that was a coded way of identifying the return of Emperor Nero, who was just famous for being an absolute dick and persecuting Christians when they were poor with no imperial power. And if he came back now, and so <laughs> he'd be the, shocked. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> he would be very uncomfortable. Right. Um, especially with the Christian nationalists. I was going to say, he'd probably be like, I miss the old guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the other Christians were fine. <laughs> I wish I hadn't persecuted them so much. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. So, if you feel the need to buy something to add to your cart because the subtotal is 666, that's that's wild. That's unreasonable. <laughs> Last on our list for superstitions. Yeah, so talismans and amulets is what we've got here. And, I mean, we talk about four-leaf clovers, though those have been used as talismans and amulets before. But really, as far back as we have written history, we have people carrying or wearing talismans, especially ones that contain writing meant to dispel curses or invoke blessings of safety or supernatural gifts. And I'd even include, like, your lucky pair of socks in this. That's a talisman. Fair, yeah. um, which, I, you know. Any that's... object you wear for or, or carry with you for good luck. If it's uh, anxiety rock that you got to rub, that still kind of fits here. Um, though there is a minor bit of science that backs up any outlet of anxiety is a good thing. So not everything is, even though it may be built on f absolute lies, it still has a utility because your brain says it should. Yeah. <laughs> Which is really interesting. So how about the lucky rabbit's foot? Ew. It's not. Makes yeah. me sad. Right? Unless it's artificial, I've seen the odd, like, basically stuffy rabbit's foot. I think somebody might be lying to you about it being entirely artificial. <laughs> no, you you know when it's plastic fur, not animal fur. Real ones make me sad. But I have seen stuffy ones, too. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't that lucky for the rabbit. <laughs> uh, the belief that a rabbit's foot is good luck is actually pretty much universal. Wow. Uh, it goes decently far back. And in every continent, every corner of the globe, including Antarctica, somebody there at some point has found it valuable. <laughs> All right, I believe you. It's just wild. Though there are localized restrictions on the lucky foot. Okay. Uh, what makes it lucky. Some places will have rules um, about the attributes of the rabbit. 
Some require it to be a white rabbit. Some say brown. Some say gray, whatever. There's rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's rules about the manner or place of death. Sometimes it has to be killed a specific way. Sometimes it needs to have been killed by a wild animal and you got lucky and found the foot. It's, it's all morbid. It really is. Um, and sometimes there's rules about the butcher. Sometimes it's like he has to be left-handed or he has to do it in a clean room or whatever. And it has to be on a wooden block. Things like that. There's, a, there's rules on how you obtain a lucky foot for it to be lucky. And they, they vary from place to place around the world. It's just wild. <laughs> um, Benjamin Radford is an old scholar. He says that this traditional superstition is connected to the hand of glory, which is just wild. The hand of glory is a dry, pickled left hand of a hanged man. Uh, unless, of course, he is a verified murderer right-handed <laughs> because you want the hand that committed the crime. It's just so- wild. <laughs> but that's odd to me because most people are right-handed. And yes. I'm guessing from the time of this. Right, but not everybody who was hanged was a murderer. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Right. Sorry. Yeah. So generally, the left hand of a hanged man, dry, pickled and dried, unless he was a murderer, then you want his right hand, assuming that he killed with the right hand. But remember, there's this this ridiculous belief throughout Europe that if the devil made you do it, you were probably left-handed when you did the crime. Mm-hmm. So, like, probably a lot of murderers, if there's any validation for this prejudice, maybe a lot of the, these murderers were left-handed. Which is a bit of a stretch. There's probably not any validation for this prejudice. It feels like a safe bet. <laughs> so, yeah, this, this hand of glory would often be used to hold candles. And that was used for protection or luck or all kinds of stuff. And you're shaking your head because you're right, this is disgusting. <laughs> Just wild. The rabbit's feet were bad. Ugh. Well, I mean... They are bad. But this is really gross. Yeah. Who I would mean... want this in their house? <laughs> Fuck, we're know. weird people. Humans are fucked. So you can find a hand of glory in several museums in Europe. I don't know if you did when you went to Portugal, but they're out there. <laughs> I'm looking it up and I... <laughs> there, there are some scholars who think that the Hand of Glory name for this is actually an error. That Main de Gloire is a French name. The French, the French translation of this name. But it also is really close to the French word for mandrake. And so mandrakes are good luck. We talked about that a little bit already. And so there's some argument around the value of the name Hand of Glory for this ridiculous hanged man's talisman. Don't like it. (laughs) I don't know. I, I feel like there's not really a strong connection between the rabbit's foot and the Hand of Glory. Collecting the Hand of Glory isn't nearly universal enough or old enough to really say that there is this connection that Benjamin Radford is claiming. Interesting. 
Yeah. And I guess amulets, we kind of talked about in the beginning, everything from rosary beads to your patron saint. And I mean, those are Christian examples, but so everyone has a... I I understand the rosary as an amulet a little bit because it's meant to be like a thing that you count as you pray. Why you need to repeat a prayer verbatim for a personal thing doesn't make any sense to me at all <laughs> but i know that a billion people see value in it so if it brings you peace there's value there i mean that's half of the talisman's job anyway <laughs> i feel like i've had like lucky necklaces or things i'll wear for specific occasions but not really anymore yeah there used to be a necklace i would wear like for big events on purpose but sure I, I don't really do the whole talisman thing so much. We learned that my mom's quite super Yeah. I think most of it's hokum. And <laughs> only most of it, though. <laughs> only most of it. I do like my red sky at night. Sure. Literally, I, I don't think there are any exceptions on this planet um, that every human being has some sort of superstition, something they believe that just cannot be validated. And that's that's fine. That's there's the worse, start of religion. I mean, and there's worse <laughs> things to believe than a red sunset means you're going to have a good day tomorrow. Right. <laughs> Weather-wise, I should. Right. Yeah. Your day might still be shit, but the weather <laughs> will be nice. Yeah. So if you have a superstition that you're comfortable sharing with us, or if you want to, I don't know, poke fun at somebody else that you know, let us know on Discord. Let's yeah. keep the conversation going. Drop it in our latest episode channel and also follow us on Facebook and Instagram if you're into the social medias. Yeah. And of course, we've got our spread shop if you want to buy some Holy Watermelon merch. Might give you some protection. Right. You never Bring know. Bring you good luck. It's worth a shot. You never know. <laughs> Maybe you need a lucky, lucky uh, water bottle. Right. That'd be all right. I think you need a lucky water bottle. And of course, we've got our Patreon, where we have some exclusive content, and we're getting ready to drop some some pretty big sub bonuses for Ooh, our subscribers. Yes. Coming up in a, a few months. For those who have been subscribers for a while, it'll be pretty great. Yes. Remember, all of our interview episodes have doubly long content on Patreon as well. So Not all of them, but most of them. Yes. We do have a couple where we put the whole thing in the public. But yeah, it's pretty great. All right. We got Katie's Bible study. We've got other entirely independent content, um, e even a little bit of voice acting work that we've done just for fun. All right. That's all I got this week, Preston. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Peace, Peace be, be with, with you. you. By the late Middle Ages, the Christian prophecy.